And now we read a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 35. The Lord has given us this word. Secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Here now, the reading of the word of God from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leak, leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now we turn to the New Testament. We continue our reading and study in our exposition of Matthew chapter 9. Here we are in chapter 9, verses 27 to 35. Here again, the word of the Lord. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. Their eyes were opened. Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. O Lord, may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. For we look to you for uh, exposition of your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak and uh, grant that we would understand and live according to this wonderful uh, word given to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, we are working our way through Matthew, and we've reached toward the end. I mean, there are a couple more verses uh, in Matthew 9, but we've reached the end of a section, actually. Uh, In the final verses of chapter 9, we'll actually be dealing with those with the beginning of chapter 10. So we're going to group those as if there's a chapter division between verses 35 and 36. Uh, And this verse 35 kind of caps... Chapters eight and nine. So we're we're toward the end of this 
uh, unfolding of Jesus' authority displayed in action, in deed. Uh, and that's where we've been. We've seen it time and again. His miraculous actions to show his authority and also to display what he's up to. And now we see two final actions of the Lord in the section we just read, uh, where he displays what the kingdom of God is really about and what he is the kingdom of God is up to. And it is to deliver and rescue his people out of the dominion of Satan, transferred us from the kingdom, the authority of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Colossians one, as we read, well, that's he's displaying that now that that's what he's up to in his coming. And it's it's about the kingdom of God. That makes clear. That's made clear in verse thirty five that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We will return to that a little bit, but let me just mention to you, this is not the first time we've heard this uh, exactly, because John the Baptist came, and in Matthew 3, verse 2, Matthew 3, 2, it says that John's uh, whole message is summarized as, repent, for the kingdom of God has drawn near. In that instance, says kingdom of heaven, though I think the two terms are equivalent. There's a reason why it says kingdom of heaven. Someday we'll deal with that. But now it's the kingdom of God has drawn near. That's the summary of John the Baptist's ministry and proclamation. And then in Matthew 4, verse 17, you really have the same summary for Jesus. He comes close, he comes uh, into the synagogues and among the people of God. He, he proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of uh, heaven has drawn near. So he basically says the same thing that John the Baptist says. Uh, and then here we have another, the third summary, really, of Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's a way to summarize what he's doing. So what is the kingdom? Well, that's a that's a big question and worth exploring in another venue. But for now... Uh, it the the quick and easy way to define the kingdom of heaven biblically, the kingdom of God is it is the new creation. It's the new heavens and a new earth. That's what it is, uh, and that's easy to show from Scripture. Uh, you you don't have to go very far to you know even in Matthew to find this. We will see this later in Matthew. But for now, that's just what you keep in mind when he's just, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Of, and that's what he's talking about, the new creation. Uh, and that's what we are a part of. You've been transferred from the authority of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, the new creation kingdom that he rules over and that he is, uh, has already made us a part of and it will be consummated at the second coming. That's that's what this is. Now, this is this is actually prophesied in that Isaiah 35. Uh, this this whole prophecy which I read, I hope you didn't uh, miss the fact that notice how that ended. The eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, the lame man leap for like the deer, that's actually an axe. <laughs> you see that with the apostle uh, healing a man who is lame and he, he starts jumping around. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Well, that's here in 
Matthew 9, the tongue of the mute man. And we're going to see that in Matthew 9. And that's that's what Jesus is up to. This this Isaiah passage is showing the approach of the new creation. If you kept reading in Isaiah 35, you'd bump into verse 10. We stopped at verse 6. You just keep reading to verse 10. Here's what it says. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy. Upon their heads, they will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Well, now all, all you have to do is read a, a Revelation 21. Sorrow and sighing, God wiping away all our tears. Revelation 21. This is the new creation. Behold, I make everything new. And I will be their God. They will be my people. And I will wipe away every tear. And notice this everlasting joy. Not a temporary joy. It's everlasting joy. That's what the Lord has in store. That's what he prophesies. And Jesus is saying, you are right on the edge of that. Because I'm here. So when, if you want to know what I'm doing, I'm, I'm starting that work. I'm here to get this going. I'm here to start a, a phase of that in this world. And that's whom... That's what we're up to in the church today. We're, we're an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is, our power is through the word of God unleashed by the Holy Spirit who is, whenever you see the Holy Spirit, he's the one who brings the new creation into effect. Well, there's just a lot going on. So let's look at how Jesus is showing them the fulfillment and what he's up to. In our passage. So now we just start working through this. Notice in verse 27. So back to Matthew 9, 27. Jesus passed on from there. What did he just do? He had just healed. He had gone to the ruler, a ruler's house where his little girl had just died. He grabbed her by the hand and he raised her from the dead. <laughs> he just raised the dead. The day of resurrection has come. It's been anticipated by his action. He raised this little girl from the dead. And so he's just passing on from there. No rest for Jesus. He came to work. (laughs) He came to serve us. And to introduce this, and he's determined that nothing will stop him. He's passing on from there. And two blind men follow him, crying aloud, have mercy on his son, David. Interesting, he doesn't stop and, you know, talk to them at that point. He, he's actually eliciting something here. Quite interesting. And he says to them, well, he makes them come into the house where he, where he is. So the blind men come into him. I mean, of course, help people are helping. And they come up to Jesus and he says, do you believe that I am able to do this? It's interesting, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't give some sort of preface like, have you kept the commandments of God? Have you tithed recently? You know, I'm really concerned that you not seek riches and that you love God with heart, soul, mind, and spirit. I know that you're blind, but you can still be greedy. Are you greedy? Notice that he doesn't lay that out as a condition. They come to him and they say, have mercy on us. 
And he says, do you believe that I can do this? And they say, yes. So he touches their eyes and their eyes are open. <laughs> he touches people throughout Matthew 8 and 9. And a couple of times he couldn't touch them because, you know, that centurion said, oh, I don't want you coming to my house. You're too grand and important. And Jesus is basically frustrated because he wanted to go touch the servant to show the power flows from him. Because notice what's happened. He touches the eyes of these blind men. He doesn't give an incantation. He doesn't have a potion. He doesn't mix some magic herbs together and uh, put that on the eyes. And he doesn't pray. That's interesting, isn't it? He does not pray to God, his Father. He has the authority. Do you believe that I can do this? It's not, do you believe that God can do this? Do you believe that I can do this? And they say yes. Early we heard this, Matthew 8, 17. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew 8, 17 from Isaiah. He took upon himself. He touches their eyes. There's just transferal. Because Jesus would take upon himself our afflictions. This is why he touches the eyes. This is why he wants to touch people. To show that he's willing to take upon himself the afflictions of his people. Well, it's interesting these guys, he asked them, do you believe I can do this? And they say yes, because earlier they'd said, have mercy on us, son of David. Notice they didn't say, you know, heal our eyes. They, had, they say, have mercy on us. It's, it's interesting, it's quite close to what Jesus had done earlier to a paralytic when he said, son, my child, your sins are forgiven. It's very close to that. Have mercy on us. Your sins are forgiven. It's very close, but not quite. So these, these guys are still not quite understanding who exactly Jesus is. But they know enough. They came to the right one and asked him, have mercy on us. Do you believe I can, I can do this? He knows what they want. They want to see again. It's no big secret to him. But he wants to elicit faith out of them. And, brothers and sisters, we read in the book of Romans, you know, that justification is by faith alone. That we're, our acceptance to God is by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Christian church has taught through the ages. This is where our confessions and catechisms, this is what they teach us. Uh, we, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal salvation alone, and that is our salvation, not our good works. Our good works flow out of that uh, as the good works that we're born into by being born again. Where do you think Paul got that? He got it from right here. We actually saw that throughout Matthew 8 and 9. The issue was faith in Christ. Just go back to the centurion. Jesus marveled. He says, I've never seen such faith in Israel. Faith. Do you believe that I can do this? 
According to your faith, let it be done to you. Notice he doesn't demand tithing. He doesn't demand fasting and prayer. He doesn't demand that they keep the commandments first before he acts. He demands faith in him. And then they're rejuvenated. They can see now. Their lives are transformed. And that's the way it is with us. Our lives are transformed, so now we want to follow God. We want to love Him with heart, mind, soul, and strength and keep His commandments. That's, that's our life now. And we call this sanctification, flowing out of justification. Well, here it is. This is, this is the foundation of it. Just notice. Do you believe? According to your faith, let it be. This is very clearly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is in the world inspiring faith in him for deliverance from all afflictions, including, as we saw with the paralytic, from sin. My son, your sins are forgiven. This is what faith brings us. It brings us life and hope. And faith in him, in particular, he is our mediator, the way to the Father. Well, it's quite interesting. Then Jesus says, see, to you, don't, you don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> they go out and blab. This is what people do. They blab. Uh, and it's kind of hard to blame them, kind of. But he was. It's interesting when it says here, I think it says, he's, this is verse 30. He sternly warned them. This is the word for censure. It's a stern thing. He scolded them. You could even, you know, render this word in another place. He scolded them. He's very serious about doing this. Why? Because for them, it's all about the healing, not about faith in him. And not about the kingdom of heaven. It's all about being able to see now. It's all the symptoms that have been taken away from them, not the root cause. They don't understand. They have not been trained. To them, this is also new. You know, they're kind of, their head is reeling. They're bewildered by the wonder of it. And they're, they're blabbing about it, which is fine. But now you get word going out. Oh, there's a faith healer in Israel now. Someone who's going to heal you. If, you know, you, oh, you got a wart there? Oh, go see Jesus. He'll take care of it. This is not what he's up to. This is why. This is why he doesn't want these guys to announce. And we're going to see in a moment. Three weeks? <laughs> we need to get to be my age. It's not very far away. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll see soon uh, that he sends out the people he's training to be those who would announce and uh, display the power of the kingdom, the disciples. He's working with the disciples that they would understand what he's up to and that they could announce it. Not this guy. He's just not. These two uh, blind men, they're just not ready. So that's why he does this. Now, in case you think I'm going overboard on this, Read John 6.15 sometime. John 6.15. They came to take Jesus by force and install him as king in Jerusalem. And then it says something quite interesting. And then he went, he went all by himself alone. That's my translation. He went all by himself alone. It's, a, it's emphatic. To a desert place. 
And he just, he says, okay, I need to get out of here. I, they, this is not what I'm up to. Too small. King in Jerusalem, way too small. I came to take over heaven and earth. I came to be installed with all authority in heaven and earth. You just read Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. This is, this is his kingship. His throne is at his father's right hand in heaven. The throne of glory and all power. He is omnipotent now. He has all authority in heaven and earth. In Jerusalem, too small. Way too small. This is what people, they want a faith healer around them and, you know, keep them on the throne. Because notice what these guys say. Have mercy on us, son of David. This political king, this Messiah. He's going to be the son of David, seated in Jerusalem. That's what people wanted. And he is not up to that. He's up to taking over heaven and earth. Everything, including Corvallis and the Willamette Valley and this whole area. This is his turf. That's what he was up to. Now, the next section to display, again, keep that Colossians 1 passage in mind. Transferred from the kingdom of the authority of darkness, the dominion of darkness, into the kingdom of God's beloved son. The dominion of darkness. You want to see the dominion of darkness? Demoniac. Right here. Demon-possessed man. So we're looking now at verses 32 and following. Uh, as they were going away. So again, Jesus, it's just everything's happening one after another. As they're going away. Now, now something else comes up. As they're going away, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. Verse 33. When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said he cast out demons by the prince of darkness. Notice how Jesus in this text doesn't say anything. Notice he doesn't interact with them. And, you know, Matthew just says, all third person, they bring this demoniac to him, he's mute. When the demon's cast out, the mute man can speak, and then people talk. So, what Matthew is doing is he's describing this tremendous, miraculous, uh, Deliverance from affliction with a focus on the response of two different groups. That's why he put it this way. He, he, it's, it's very succinct, very quick, so that you focus now on verse 30, verses 33 and 34, the, the response of the people. And there are two responses. The first response is people say, we've never seen this in Israel before. This has never happened in Israel. And that's true. If you seek, you search the Old Testament for healing of uh, someone who is mute to open their mouth, you don't find any examples of that. You do find, however, Isaiah 35.6, which I read to you twice. The mute man will sing for joy. So, they were told that this is going to happen, right? They're astonished and they say, we've never seen this before. Oh, wait a second. 
Didn't Isaiah talk about this? Yeah, Isaiah talked about this. See, no one says that. Instead, they're just bewildered. No, I've never seen this before. We're going to come back to this. We're coming back because verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, brothers and sisters, these people should have been taught this. You should be, they should be soaked in the word of God. Isaiah should be in their mind when they see this stuff and say, this is what Isaiah talked about. We're seeing stuff in, you know, all the stuff in Matthew 8 and 9. We're seeing stuff that Isaiah talked about with the new creation. This, this is the stuff when God comes with his recompenses and sets up an everlasting joy for us. He's going to open the mouths of mute people. This is what they should be thinking. But they're not thinking that because they are so poorly taught. They should have known this. Secondly, here are the people who should be teaching them. Now, I know, officially in the Old Testament, the priests are charged with teaching the Word of God to the people of God. It's the priests. That's their function. If you, if you read your Old Testament, the priests are charged with teaching the Word of God to people. The second group who's charged with teaching is parents to children. That's Deuteronomy 6. You're, you're to teach your children in your getting up and your lying down and in your walking in the way. You're to teach your children these things. And go back to what I said at the beginning, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. It belongs to our children. We teach them the Word of God because it's their possession. It's they, the Lord has given it to us to give to our children. This is why we teach them. So, they should know. But here are the people who are the experts in these things, the Pharisees. Here's what they say. He casts out demons by the prince of demons. I have a friend who would have a word for that, but I won't repeat it here. He, he, would, he would blast him with both barrels. I'm just going to give you half a barrel. Bad theology. Really bad theology. Okay. Now, this is going to come up again. All right. Matthew 12, we're going to find the passage where this comes up again. What Matthew is doing here is giving us a preview. But this is darkness. This is why the people of God are afflicted by demons. This, this guy afflicted by a demon, he's a member of Israel, the people of God. And here's why. You've got these Pharisees who are opposed to God. They claim to be the most righteous and holy of all. But they, they don't know the fundamental truths of Scripture. What prince setting up a kingdom undermines his own kingdom to set it up? Why would Satan cast out demons when they are his servants? Come on! This is rather obvious. This is really obvious. How can Jesus cast out demons by Satan? He's not going to cast out demons. He, it's his service. 
It serves his purposes to spread darkness in the land. This is what Jesus says in chapter 12, which we're going to come to. But this is why the people of God were like sheep without a shepherd. This is why they're afflicted. This is the leaders of Israel at that time. These are the people who have all the knowledge and all the access to the word of God who should be teaching the people of God the word. But brothers and sisters, you have to demand to receive the word of God. This is is a commitment of this church. We are the, the Word of God shapes everything here, and this is this is you know what we do because it is it's given to us and to our children forever. It belongs to us, and and you have to have it. You have to be instructed in the Word of God, and that's what we do, so that this stuff can't happen. That's just really bad theology. And those are the leaders of Israel. He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Well, we're going to come back to that. So Jesus takes upon it himself to be the teacher of the people of God. Notice that's what verse 35 says. He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. The Pharisees were not doing that. They weren't healing people. They weren't casting out demons. They couldn't with their horrible theology. Jesus was doing it. And he's displaying that his teaching on the kingdom comes with power. His healing actions show that his teaching is with power. For he is from God. This is what 35, why it concludes what we've seen in Matthew 8 and 9. So that verse 35 is the conclusion of Matthew 8 and 9. That's, that's what we're to understand here. There's the kingdom of God being announced, and it's a good news. And so Jesus takes upon himself to be the teacher of Israel, to explain to them the kingdom and its power and what God is up to, for it is drawn near in him. And he's preparing them to then hear his disciples. And that's what happens at the beginning of chapter 10. Chapter 10 is when he sends out the disciples to announce the kingdom of God and gives them authority over diseases and demons. So, this is, this is chapter 10. This is about to happen. Uh, again, we're going to cover this next when we get to Matthew. But until then, you see, Jesus is up to that because he's putting in place what will then be this opposition to him from the leaders of Israel that results in his being crucified. As somehow that's going to rid Israel of big problem so they can have their place forever. Backfires. God raises him from the dead and seats him at his right hand with all authority and power in heaven and earth. In this age and the world to come, that's what Jesus is up to. He is installing that, his kingship overall, so that you, brothers and sisters, here on the other side of the world today, can come to Jesus and know that you can be pulled out of the kingdom of darkness, 
like these Pharisees. And ignorance, the hatred of God, and deep darkness of soul and hopelessness, you can be pulled out of that into the kingdom of God's beloved Son where you have everlasting joy, songs of triumph in a realm that will be utterly made new for you. Come, my children, into the kingdom prepared for you by my Father from before the foundation of the world that your joy might be everlasting. That's what Jesus is up to, even today in our area. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you that you have given us hope and the gospel of grace. You've given us a Savior who is more powerful than anything anyone ever imagined. Here we have him clearly displaying his glory and his kindness and grace, his gentleness with his people, even us. We thank you, O Lord. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our great shepherd. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.